0: you to turn with me in your Bible to the Book of Ephesians. In less than a week's time, many of us will be turning on the television to observe the spectacle known as the International Olympic Games, hosted this year in London. And I, for one, look forward to witnessing the many praiseworthy feats of young athletes as they compete on the highest stages of competition in the pool on the track on the balance beam. It's only natural for us to express praise and admiration for those who succeed in the highest of accomplishments, such as Michael Phelps securing eight gold medals, something unprecedented in the Olympic Games four years ago. We marvel at greatness. It's this impulse within our human nature to render praise. And as we render it on the horizontal plane, it reflects our deeper yearning to offer praise for the greatest achievement in the history of the world, the securing of our eternal redemption by Jesus Christ. Well, tonight as we continue in our series from the book of Ephesians, we follow Paul as he sets our focus on the very plans and purposes of God for our salvation, for the praise of his glorious grace. I begin reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ With which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Father, we do come to praise you and to better understand the depths of the riches of your glorious grace. May you give us wisdom and a heart of understanding, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, my wife indulged me to take us to see a superhero flick at the uh, local discount movie theater, and there for two, and two hours plus, we enjoyed, at least I enjoyed, uh, a, a film of far-fetched fantasy of various superheroes struggling to control their egos to come together to defend the planet against the invading menace of a demigod accompanied by a a host of of alien mutants coming to seize control of Earth. At issue in this film was, are humans meant to be ruled? Now, at the end of the film, there was an uproar uh, of of clapping. And and my wife raised the question, was, was that movie really worth clapping for. We had this wonderful discussion about when is it appropriate to clap perhaps after our performance. But it made me realize how it is ingrained in our nature to offer praise. And appreciation and people's reasons within that movie theater varied. Perhaps it was simply for entertainment value. Perhaps it was in response to a a victory of defeating evil, or perhaps a a message that human freedom is something worth fighting for and preserving. Well, things as mundane as clapping after a movie, or, or shouting in praise at a sporting event, whether professional or your own child, on the playing field, all of these acts Foreshadow, the eternal chorus of praise, that all the company of the redeemed will have the privilege of participating in for all eternity. As we behold our grand champion, the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world, who will be seated upon his glorious throne. In that day, evil will be defeated forever. Death will be no more. And then we will praise God for his glorious grace with ever-increasing decibels of adoration for eternity, on and on. We live for praise. To praise something, to praise somebody, but as Fallen creatures, it is our habit to praise often things that are unworthy. We praise performances, beauty, heroic deeds, all good things, but we also praise folly, rebellion, and carnal behavior, like a a bent radio antenna or a, a bad connection on a cell phone Our praise is often imperfect and misguided. The Apostle Paul, in his opening words to the Ephesian church, helps us to realign to whom and for what purpose we offer worthy praise. Notice that Paul does not emphasize praise for God's glorious might that would certainly be appropriate. Nor does he focus on God's wisdom. He doesn't praise God for his glorious and holy wrath. But rather, it's to God's glorious grace. Perhaps the characteristic of God's redemptive plan that is most distinctive as we come to the New Testament to understand the riches of the gospel as revealed through Jesus Christ. As one searches the Old Testament, we don't find the word grace very often, and even more rarely is it used to describe the character of God. However, the concept is prevalent throughout the Old Testament. God was gracious in initiating creation. He was gracious in the manner in which he approached our rebellious first parents in the garden. God's grace was prevalent in the manner in which he redeemed his people Israel and rescued them from bondage in the land of Egypt. A more common word in the Old Testament, perhaps one of the most common words to describe God's character and action, is the word hesed, which is oftentimes translated as mercy or steadfast love, speaking to God's covenant faithfulness, his long-suffering, his commitment to the salvation and the good of his people. And it's often in this phrase that Moses, David, the psalmist, and the prophets offer up praise for God and his hesed, his steadfast love, which endures forever. However, it's not till we come to the New Testament that we f- we see the full manifestation of God's glorious grace. As the mystery of the ages, the gospel unfolds in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's in the character of Jesus that we see the divine love. And the character of God's grace in full display as Jesus forgives the very ones who are torturing him. As he endures the wrath of God, an undeserved penalty upon him, serving as a substitute, a sacrifice in our place, a people who did deserve God's wrath and displeasure. It's there at the cross that we see the depth of God's grace, that which is not available from any other God or any other religion that this world has to offer. And so to a people tempted to idolatry and tempted by sin, Paul offers a very attractive alternative to worship the true and living God, to find full satisfaction to the longings of our hearts and to be fulfilled as we offer ourselves to the glorious praise of God's wondrous grace. Tonight, I want to look at these few verses with an ABC approach. To praise God for the fact that we are adopted, we are blessed, and we are chosen. However, we begin out of order with the C word, chosen, as we come to verse 4 of our text. Paul establishes both the basis of our election and its purpose. See, that the very basis of our election is the fact that we are chosen in him. Referencing back to Christ, we were not chosen because we were worthy in and of ourselves, nor were we chosen by God because he had some kind of obligation to us. As we look back in redemptive history, we see that God chose the nation of Israel Not because she was great, not because she was glorious, but rather opposites. We explore Deuteronomy 7 and other places. It's very clear that God chose Israel for it was a small people, weak and needy, nor were they lovely or obedient. There was nothing attractive in and of the people Israel, in and of themselves. It was not based upon God foreseeing anything good, in them. And as Paul clarifies in here, we are chosen before the very foundation of the world. So God, not looking ahead to see how we will respond, but rather by his own divine sovereign prerogative, shows us seeing Christ in us. Us being selected out of the mass of humanity to be among the company of the redeemed, for his own praise and glory. It was through weakness, through bondage that God displayed his glorious power in overthrowing Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. And it was through the rebellion of the people of God that God put on display his long-suffering and his grace to safely bring this people to the promised land. And during 40 years of wilderness wanderings. As we come back to Ephesians, it becomes very pervasive and clear even as we jump into chapter 2, where Paul clarifies it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not by works so that no one may boast. The very basis for us being chosen is God's redeeming grace, not nothing deserving on our leaving, no room for boasting in any person. Rather, it is in Christ, the one in whom we are chosen. That is Christ alone who is worthy, who is the chosen one, and in whom each and every one of us is chosen for the praise of God's glorious grace. Now, that is the basis of our election. What is the purpose? It says here that God aims to make us holy and blameless. God set his affections upon the people, a people who were not what we should be, but rather a people broken and in need of much redemption. When a child goes into a toy store, He sets his sights on the new shiny toy with all the bells and the whistles. He does not go after a beat-up toy. However, a grown man may go search long and hard, go to great lengths to acquire an antique car that perhaps has been damaged and suffered neglect, a car that is found in ruins he might restore to its former glory. So in choosing us, God designed to make us new again, to restore us and refashion us according to his original design for us, that we might reflect his glory and his holiness. See, the purpose for our salvation is that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, Recently, my wife and I bought a new home. And as we prepared to move into this new house, we went about the work of cleaning and shampooing, cleaning the carpets and the floors and the windows and the bathrooms. And even as we have settled into this house, we have plans to do some repairs and to do some home improvements. Such is the case with God pursuing a people. Desiring to clean us, to purify us, to mature us and bring us to completion. The language of Ephesians 1 is echoed again in in chapter 5. In the very command for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without staying wrinkle or any other blemish. So how do we respond to these things? May we praise our God and Father that he has chosen us rather than rejected us. Earlier this summer, two of my boys had to try out for baseball. To try out for a tur- tournament, teams for little league baseball, and there's a, a, a cutoff. Some boys are accepted, and some have to be turned away. And it's based upon merit and skill and experience. However, when we come to the scripture, when we explore the teachings of God's word, we realize that God had every right to reject us. He had no obligation to choose any one of us what did any of us possibly have to offer to god we were not top draft picks that we were not valuable on god's team none of us were future all stars in the kingdom of god we were not chosen because of any of our redeeming qualities And we must ask ourselves, am I an asset or more a liability to God's purposes? All of my besetting sins, are they not a burden to God who must forgive me over and over and bear with me in my difficulties? And is my life a witness that reflects God's holiness and goodness? Because I am so holy. Because I am so good at doing good works to others. Or is it more true to say that my personal track record is a witness to God's overwhelming grace? To a God who has long suffered with me, who has patiently borne with me in my stubbornness, in my lack of understanding, in my slowness to hear and respond and obey his word. Friends, we must all concede that God has not chosen any one of us because of our sterling character or our great faith, but rather you and I are ordinary people in desperate need of God's grace. For high school graduates applying to colleges, they can either receive need-based scholarship aid or merit-based scholarship. In the kingdom of God, it's all need-based. None of it is merit-based. We receive God's grace purely because we are in need as recipients who are bankrupt in and of ourselves and come to the one who alone can meet our inadequacies. Praise him. Praise him for choosing you for setting his affections upon you, for seeing Christ in you and seeing your future glory self, the glorious joy of what you will be when you are fully complete in Christ, in glory, in his eternal presence. Praise him. A few weeks ago, I saw some old friends from seminary while I was actually down at the General Assembly in Louisville. And uh, these friends, since that time nine years ago when we graduated from school, uh, since then they had planted a church in a fairly rural community, and this husband and wife had expanded their family by, uh, now that their natural-born children were a little bit older, had chose to adopt a sibling group of, of three children from Columbia, And they began to tell me their story, a a long journey that had been both challenging and rewarding. And I was intrigued with their story. I had to ask them, what was the difference between their natural-born children and their adopted children? And without hesitation, this husband and wife shared with me something that a counselor had helped them to understand this counselor helped them understand that natural-born children are typically wired to want to please the parents, whereas adopted children rarely are that way. You see, usually adopted children have already suffered rejection. And so it is not ingrained in them to please their adoptive parents. Their adoptive parents are still strangers, and it takes time to deepen that relationship And build trust. And so, wise adoptive parents are patient, realizing that their adopted children may take longer to develop trust and to build a desire to please them. Friends, we need to realize that we are all adopted, Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. And if you look at his life, especially in the Gospel of John, you see this pervasive theme of how he delighted in nothing more than to please his Father. You and I, as adopted sons and daughters, have a rebellious sin nature that does not delight to please God our Father. Our sin nature resists that, but it's only by the work of the Holy Spirit that teaches us and trains us to desire to please God. Father. And God is patient with us. He long suffers with us. He is full of compassion upon us. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And he's a God who pursues us, who woos us, who calls us to himself, who deepens his bond with us. that We might learn to trust him and develop that spirit-given desire to please him. And so it is that we come to the second point of how we are called to praise God because we are adopted. We are adopted by a God who chooses to pursue unworthy sons and daughters. As we expand upon this idea of being chosen, it says in verse 5 that we were predestined for adoption as sons and daughters for the purpose and pleasure of God's will. Now, the doctrine of predestination can commonly be accused of being a cold, unloving, and arbitrary teaching of stuffy Presbyterians and Calvinists. I would argue to the contrary, as Paul clarifies that it was in love. That you and I were predestined for adoption. In fact, predestination is the most loving thing that God could have done. Because what it teaches us is that God had to choose us. Because in our sin, in our rebellion, because we're so dead to our sin, you and I would never choose him. You and I would never come to him unless he initiated the relationship and empowered us by the Holy Spirit to respond to the free offer of the gospel. Predestination is a loving, warm, tender, familial idea that Paul introduces here and in Romans chapter 8 and 9, and we learn there that it's based upon God's foreknowledge. Not that he foreknew what we would do and respond to the offer of the gospel but rather he foreknew you that before the foundations of the world he knew who you were he not only knew who you were he knew you as his son or daughter redeemed through Christ like Jacob we were chosen before we had done anything good or bad and like Jacob the scoundrel You and I are being wooed and pursued and being drawn to a loving father who seeks to grow us and transform us for the praise of his glorious grace. Now, there's no other explanation given here for our adoption other than for the very purpose of God's will. And this word for purpose here in verse 5 can also be translated as pleasure. It's his choice. It's God's desire and his delight to magnify his grace to the undeserved and the needy. God was not under compulsion, obligation, or under contract. Rather, God abound himself with an oath and covenant to our forefather Abraham to grant him a multitude of spiritual descendants. This is not something God had to do, as if he owed us anything, but God desire to do for the pleasure of his own will. My wife and I are presently pondering the prospect of hosting an international student for this coming school year, and we were talking with some friends who had hosted an international student, and this particular student was a bit entitled, uh, a bit consumed with herself, and uh, it was challenging for the family to, to, have to have to accommodate themselves for this particular individual. And that was something good for this family to just see the problems and the challenges of, of having an entitlement mentality. Friends, we are not entitled anything before God. God does not owe us anything. But what grace teaches us is that that we have been blessed with an internal inheritance and all the riches that are ours in Christ simply because of God's free choice to bless us and to lavish his grace upon us. So praise him. Praise him that you are adopted and we're not abandoned. Our world is filled with orphans. Street children who are unwanted by their parents. We, in recent times, have heard a number of stories of young people and young adults who have expressed gratitude that they were not aborted by their birth mothers who were tempted to end their pregnancies. In the early church, many believers would go to the trash heaps of the cities to claim children infants that were left to die by exposure. God is the God who pursues the weak and the vulnerable on the trash heaps. We have a God who delights to adopt, who does not leave us nor abandon us, who will never leave us nor forsake us, who chooses to bless us and give us a new name and an eternal inheritance that can never be taken away spoil, or perish. And so we see, thirdly, that we are blessed. It says in verse 6 that we are blessed in the beloved, that is, through Christ, for the praise of God's glorious grace. In In other translations, the word blessed is translated accepted. Friend, you have been accepted by God. Once again, not because of anything you've earned or merited, but simply by God setting his affections upon you. And as those who are blessed, you and I enjoy all the benefits and the privileges of the rightful children of God. Our eternal security has been established by the work of Christ. You and I enter the kingdom of God, not on our merit, but on the work of Christ. We now approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And our account is full. Though we were bankrupt, we now have riches beyond our wildest imagination because of what Christ has done on our behalf. We have a God who has answered our every cry in our distress and who has blessed us in every way for the praise of his glorious grace. That which is incomprehensible to the world, a world that insists upon merit and performance, a world that insists on earning everything that it gets. To that world, God speaks a truth that blows us away. That if we were weighed in the balance, all of us would come up wanting. Those who would seek to glory in the work of man and strength, power, of beauty, and wealth will come up empty. For these things cannot bear the weight of glory. Only God and the riches of his grace, only God is worthy enough and can bear the weight of praise for his glorious grace. So praise him. Praise him that you are blessed rather than cursed. You and I deserve to be cut off. We are worthy of death. Ours would be eternal destruction were it not the initiating grace of God through Jesus Christ. You and I were objects of wrath, We who are desperately wicked, fully deserving punishment and displeasure. And yet, have you ever stopped to consider how blessed we are? How richly blessed, not just in this world of material gain, but all the spiritual resources that are ours in Christ for all eternity. Praise him. Let it astonish you, bless you, and overwhelm you. I've enjoyed in recent weeks corresponding with Jenny Florio, a young lady from our church that's presently serving in Japan for a, about a six-week internship as a, with a team of missionaries there. And I've been blessed by Jenny's candid expression of how overwhelming the work of ministry is in that particular setting. There she is in one of the most prosperous nations in the world that rivals us in terms of economic output and technological convenience. And yet, there in this world known as Japan, there is great darkness, much despair, depression, and suicide. A nation that is impoverished spiritually, that does not have the rich Christian heritage that we enjoy, that does not have the biblical resources and teachings that we have in abundance. And Jenny, in her writings to many of us, expresses her being overwhelmed for the need is so great, and she is so deeply burdened for this people. And I wrote back to Jenny recently as she blessed me to help me see that God is allowing this young lady to be overwhelmed in a land that has been overwhelmed, that was overwhelmed over a year ago by a tsunami disaster that only exposes how overwhelmed that great land is by the burden of sin and by the pressing judgment to come. Friends, you and I indeed are like the members of Noah's Ark. That we are riding upon the high seas. That we are surrounded by chaos and danger and death and destruction. And people are drowning. And you and I are preserved because we have come to the only place of refuge. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only place of hope and salvation. And then it's the great tsunami of destruction. That awaits this world of ours. Friends, the cross of Christ is the place of refuge, is the expression of God's redeeming grace for those who would seek salvation. And it's through Christ that God overwhelms us with a tsunami of grace to flood our hearts and our minds and our souls with his affections. Friends, we have been adopted. We have been blessed, and we have been chosen for the praise of God's glorious grace. Give him praise forever and ever. Amen. Our great God of grace, you who have pursued us, you who have purchased us, you who have chosen us to be adopted as your sons and daughters, we offer you praise for your rich and glorious grace you have freely offered us in jesus christ be glorified in him we ask amen